Welcome to the Mac PFD Sparkle podcast. This is Ruth Chen, and in the Sparkle subseries, we'll bring you shorter segments released in between our longer Spark episodes. We'll have new and exciting interviews with professionals from across the world, helping you to achieve your personal and professional goals as a healthcare educator, researcher, leader, or practitioner at any stage of your career. So sit back, listen, and enjoy this episode of the Mac PFD Sparkle Podcast. In this segment, Robin Davison discusses her transition from senior academic and faculty member running her research lab to fine artist and painter. Robin reflects on her journey from academia to art and on the importance of holistic personal and professional development. Welcome to the Spark Podcast. This is Ruth Chen, and in this episode, I have the pleasure of speaking with Robin Davison, a biomedical researcher, health sciences faculty, and artist. I didn't meet Robin in her lab, or at a conference, or on any of the campuses where she has been a faculty member. Instead, imagine visiting an art gallery in Washington, D.C. on a sunny summer day, really liking one of the artist's works, and when you look up this artist to find out more about them, you discover they were also an accomplished academic, making an impact in health sciences research. When you look on Robin's website, she describes her work as dynamic abstract paintings rooted in curiosity with threads of scientific inquiry. I knew this was someone I wanted you to meet, and my hope is that this episode inspires us to see the power of serendipity in leading us to truth, growth, and discovery. Welcome, Robin. Thank you for joining me. Thank you, Ruth. It's lovely to be here with you. And yes, serendipity, it brought us together, and I'm so delighted it did. I'm excited to have our conversation today. And also, you know, I have to say I'm very grateful to Callaway Fine Art Gallery in Washington, D.C. for really being the vehicle for us meeting. It's a delightful discovery of you and your work that you're doing at your university. So thank you for having me today. Thank you as well, Robin. Now, I've provided only the briefest of summaries about you and your background, So please tell us more about you and your journey as an academic. Let's see. I guess I'll start at the beginning. I'm originally from Iowa, from the state of Iowa, Cedar Rapids, Iowa, to be specific. And I spent my entire early academic career in Iowa at the University of Iowa in Iowa City, There, I got my bachelor's degree in psychology, and I went on to get a master's there. I completed a PhD in pharmacology at the University of Iowa, and then I went on to also at Iowa do a postdoctoral fellowship at the Cardiovascular Research Institute and the Center for Hypertension Genomics. And I joined the faculty after completing my postdoc, and I taught neuroscience, cardiovascular physiology, genomics to a variety of health sciences students, medical students, dental students, graduate students, while pursuing my research. I was there as a faculty member for about eight years and then moved to Cornell University in 2006, where I was a professor of molecular physiology. I actually had two laboratories, one in Ithaca, New York, where it's sort of the mothership of Cornell, 
And then also Cornell's medical school is in Manhattan. So I divided my time between Ithaca and New York City for about a little over 10 years at Cornell before we moved to Washington, D.C. about six years ago. My scientific, but also more broadly, my liberal arts education and experience, you know, it began at the University of Iowa. And I wanted to talk a little bit about that and how Mm -hmm. it has shaped much of what's happening to me today with my experience in art. So the University of Iowa is really an exemplar of an institution that values the entire range of scholarly disciplines from astrophysics to poetry. Being a young student there, I learned very early on about some of the history of that long-standing tradition of balanced education. In 1922, the university began to accept creative work in lieu of theses for graduate degrees in the fine and performing arts. Um, So this was the the birthplace of the MFA. It was the first to offer a master's degree in the Writer's Workshop, the famous Iowa Writer's Workshop, beginning in 1936. So Iowa has always been a pioneer in recognizing the role that creativity and the imagination play in all types of learning. So I really value that. You know, I was steeped in that tradition. And also, I have to say that Cornell University, being a land-grant university, a very similar sensitivity to the value of sort of the reciprocal and mutual benefit of the sort of two cultures, you know, STEM disciplines and the arts and the humanities. So I'm very much of the tradition, but also just extraordinarily fortunate to have had those experiences of finding myself in academic environments, both at the University of Iowa and at Cornell, that really foster, you know, a very balanced approach and acknowledge the benefits of the arts and humanities, in addition to the importance of the STEM disciplines, of course, in in, in making us better thinkers and better citizens and better people. And of course, you know, I've spent my professional lifetime working in the biomedical sciences, and I certainly recognize and celebrate the extraordinary contributions of science to our lives, our prosperity, our promise for the future. But, you know, based on a life of science, I have come to really firmly believe that science is not enough to solve the world's thorniest challenges. Mm. We need the broad and the deep value of the liberal arts for two big reasons. They hold inherent value as the best way to understand ourselves, first of all. And also, it helps us to understand what it means to be fully human and provide then practical contributions to solving our difficult and persistent problems. So that's very much part of my journey and what has influenced what might be said to be quite a significant transition in my professional life these days. Our paths crossed because of your artwork and through your artwork. And you've had several incredible exhibitions now. How did you start painting? It's an interesting story, I think. 
So I have to say that, and I maybe gave a taste of this, but to expand on it a little more throughout my life, both professionally and personally, you know, I've benefited from having interests in a broad range of areas. And, you know, I was encouraged by my parents and my teachers to pursue both my scientific and my artistic interests. As a kid growing up, I was always very, very, very taken with science and math and, of course, pursued that quite vigorously. But I also was always a maker. I loved to make things. My grandmother was a very, very accomplished seamstress, and she taught me to sew when I was about 10 years old. So I spent my teenage years sewing many of my own clothes and then learned to knit and I learned to spin yarn. I became very curious about how yarn is made. So I learned to spin animal fiber. So became engaged in sort of fiber art, knitting, weaving, organic dyeing of those fibers. And so, although very, very focused on, on STEM for, you know, much of my life, there was always this pull toward other ways of discovering. And so, you know, it was about, and I will say that one of the things, and I think it'll be important for our conversation to note is that despite having those, what I would call hobbies that were, you know, very enriching in my life, I just, because of the life of a busy faculty member, first as a young assistant professor getting tenure and then, you know, running two huge research laboratories in, in New York, I just never really had the time to pursue those things. And so it was always on the fringe. So about three years ago now, coming up on three years ago, I found myself at a little bit of a professional and kind of personal crossroads. You know, as I said, we had moved from New York to Washington, D.C., and I was continuing to commute back to New York, both Ithaca and New York City, to continue my work there. We had moved to Washington for my husband's job. So I was doing this really crazy thing. I was triangulating between D.C., Ithaca, and Manhattan, twice a month, and it involved planes, trains, and automobiles. (laughs) Literally. (laughs) Literally. And I realized after two and a half years or so of doing this, that it wasn't going to be sustainable. And so I really found myself at a place where I knew I needed to think differently. I needed to really spend some time reflecting So what happened was I, to mark some time, I decided to take a break and I decided to mark that time by signing up for a course. And I didn't have any particular course in mind. I sort of almost randomly picked something out of the catalog offering (laughs) because it lined up with the timing of my break. And I, you know, went off on this course. It was a week long course. And I kind of thought it was about one thing, but it really wasn't. So I got there and it was a course on creativity and the creative process. And the teacher happened to use paint and mixed media as the medium for teaching the much bigger topic of the creative process. And Mm. it just 
sparked something in me that in some ways was always there, but had not been fully embraced for sure. So I was really taken by surprise by this. I had just no, I mean, I was thinking I was going to go away to, you know, the mountains for a week and have a nice week and maybe do a little something in this course (laughs) and, you know, no idea that this was going to change my life. So I came home and I told David, my husband, I said, I'm going to carve out a little place on the end of the dining room table and keep doing this, you know? And of course he said, of course, you know, that sounds like fun. And so I started and pretty soon the dining room table was filled and the living room was filled and the kitchen was filled. So eventually about a year and a half ago, I converted one of our spare bedrooms to a studio And then, you know, this all was kind of beginning to happen, but then, you know, and then the pandemic began. Mm -hmm. So that also had really a major impact because suddenly during that time when I was kind of, you know, over that year and a half before the pandemic, I was taking mostly in-person course. I was doing a lot of learning. I was taking in-person courses here in the Washington, D.C. area, but then suddenly that went away. And, you know, you, you probably you may know that the online art education world really exploded in, in a really wonderful way during the pandemic is, you know, one of the silver linings. And so I had the opportunity then to really immerse myself. And yeah, one thing has led to another. And I expanded my bedroom studio out during the pandemic I needed more room because I wanted to paint bigger and I wanted to let the paint fly and I couldn't do that upstairs in my yes. <laughs> my stu- my little studio so I converted our outdoor terrace into a studio and then now this summer I'm painting at a very nearby artist studio space called the Jackson School here in Washington DC and that's been a real joy So that's how it started again, back to the topic where we started of serendipity. Um, It was pure serendipity that that happened. So that's kind of what happened. And I have recently, in the last, about a year ago right now, decided to really put the stake in the ground around being a professional artist. So I started my business last summer spent some months developing and establishing my website with being able to sell online in that way. And then also, as you say, uh, connected with a few galleries uh, locally. And I mean, to me, it's nothing short of amazing. I have just recently become Professor Emerita at Cornell. So that's an exciting development. I'm really honored to have that designation. And I look forward to while I've, I'm not, you know, I've closed my research labs. Mm. I will continue to work with faculty and staff at Cornell on some special projects related to graduate education and, and mentorship and those sorts of things. And so I'm excited mm. to continue to participate in academia, but just in a very different way. I definitely want to ask you more about that. But before we move into that bridge between academic life and art and that whole connection, I'm so curious to hear you describe the way that you set up your studio at first. And I'm just Mm -hmm. picturing you starting with just a room in your house and then moving to the terrace because the pieces that I have seen are large. And Mm -hmm. so I'm just envisioning. And I know that one of your exhibitions featured really large pieces as well. 
So mm-hmm. I didn't know the evolution in terms of the spaces that you were using. What is the process that you have, or maybe, you know, I don't know if you have it clearly defined in your mind, but how do you develop an idea for a new series of works or does something come to you and then you expand on that, you grow Mm -hmm. into these other directions? How does that process work for you? It's really interesting. So it varies. So far for me, I begin work truly with a blank canvas and with no preconceived idea about what's going to happen on that canvas. Mm -hmm. Now, that's not to say that some what I call laboratory investigations don't happen before that. I spend a lot of time using my years of, you know, skill and experimentation to help me to understand and learn for example, about the materials. Mm -hmm. So I'll spend a lot of time, for example, experimenting with paint viscosity. So that's one of of the things that I've been working on recently is using different mediums to mix with my paint to make it, you know, thinner or thicker, giving it different finishes, whether it's a Mm -hmm. glossy finish or a more matte finish investigating how those different paint viscosities interact differently with different substrates. So when you're working on canvas versus Mm. on paper versus on, on wood substrate, it's all different. And so I put my best you know, science cap on when I'm at (laughs) that phase. And I know that in the laboratory, when we run experiments, there are multiple variables and the best experiments, you hold everything constant except the one variable. And then you change that variable in a controlled way. And by doing this over and over, you find some answer. So I do spend time in the sort of what I call study phase of doing that. But when it comes to beginning a new piece of work that has been led by those experiments, I never start with any kind of a preconceived notion. It always develops as it goes. You know, one color will lead to the next color. One way the paint moves will lead me to the next move. And there it goes over and over again. And there's a lot of intuition involved. And I've come to understand that, you know, those ideas and those instincts, those intuitions, those perceptions are as true Mm. as any scientific measurement. They Mm. really are. It's just a very different way of thinking about it. And just like in science, in art, if you, you know, if you follow the data, like back to my, you know, the preliminary experiments that I do leading up to working on a piece, it always leads to the truth. One thing that I think has been so interesting to discover about this process and the comparison of making art and doing science is that in the scientific laboratory, we do this controlled experiment and we do it over and over and over again in in the exact same way in order to get to the truth. In my art, when I'm making a piece of art, the realization that this experiment Mm. is only going to happen once. Mm. It will never happen again. It cannot be repeated. Mm -hmm. And for me, that is really exhilarating. Both ways in my life have been exhilarating, exhilaration of discovery, but it's just two different ways of getting to discovery. 
it's been just really a thrilling thing to to kind of understand that. And it's been quite a journey so far. What a great contrast you're describing repeated experiments, controlled environments, and replicating or aiming towards replication of results in one environment. And yet equally exhilarating on the other side is the creation of something that cannot be repeated or even the process of creating that won't be repeated again and how that can be equally exhilarating. That's a really interesting uh, dichotomy that you're describing. Yeah, and I, I think that if I hadn't had those experiences of science in the laboratory and, you know, and the replication and reproduction, as you say, I wouldn't fully appreciate how exhilarating this is, the one-time-only kind of idea. And it's led me to, you know, the the idea that paint never behaves the same way twice. Mm-hmm. And so there are, I mean, truly, it's it's amazing. And And so there are always material surprises. I find myself, I've been placed under the spell of paint, you might say, for that reason, is that you just never know how it's going to go. And, you know, that's not to say that it always results in a fabulous painting, because it doesn't, you know, there are, you know, there are things that don't work out. But then you go back in and you keep responding and eventually you find your way. So it's just been really amazing. Do you find that this whole process of you being more and more immersed in your art has changed you or has shaped you as a person or shaped your perspective or worldview in a different way that perhaps when you were less immersed, you didn't have those insights or you didn't have a certain perspective? I do. I believe I've become, first of all, a more keen observer and really seeing the world around me, really looking carefully, taking the time to do that, and really being present and being in that moment. I get lost. I really get lost in in that. But it's also, as I said, I grew up, um, I had the great fortune of having parents who loved to travel. And so I, I grew up especially in Europe. In later years, I, when I was an adult, did, you know, sort of Asia and Southeast Asia. But as a kid growing up, going to Europe and, you know, seeing all the great art that there is there, all the greats, you know, I, mm-hmm. I was in Florence and I saw, you know, Botticelli's Birth of Venus and Michelangelo's David and visited the Louvre and went to Oslo to see the Munch Museum and, and so on. And so I've been looking at and appreciating art my whole life. Mm. But I find now that I am looking in a very different way. Mm. I see it. I almost, I was saying to somebody the other day that I see looking at other artists' work now in whether it be in galleries or in museums, it's like going to the library, you know, investigating and not just, you know, how, how was that brushstroke made or how did they accomplish that with the paint? There is that. I'm very interested in the technical parts, but it mm. goes beyond that. It's really seen in a different new way. And I really have been thinking a lot about, you know, because I've been so impacted at this change in my life and immersion in art in a different way. And 
you know, on the heels of a a career, a very, very busy academic, I mean, you know, the life of an academic is a very busy life, and especially in a different discipline like that. You know, I've been thinking a lot and talking with people a lot about what we can do as professional students of life mm-hmm. and also as citizens to promote the value of a balanced life to really embrace the richness of a full and examined life. And one of the things, just in the context of our educational institutions, I think we can really be advocates. We can really argue for the benefits of a liberal education. And what that involves is a sense of social responsibility and open-mindedness and interest in other cultures as well as, you know, the practical skills of, you know, communication and problem solving and the ability Mm. to apply knowledge in our lives and our careers, we can support our, you know, our libraries and our museums and our live performances and cultural activities. And some of the things that I've noticed in my own life as I've made this transition Mm. is I've been reading even more. Reading requires our full attention and especially when we give ourselves the time to do it, when we're fully engaged, it stimulates our thought processes, encourages us to come up with new ideas. It inspires creativity, listening to others. And that's mm. become so important in, in these times we find ourselves in when there are some very different perspectives out there mm-hmm. and learning to really listen. And I think that that's also been something that has come from this you know, making time for reflection and thought. I was very much guilty of being too busy in my faculty life. It is a busy life. There's no doubt about it. But I realize now that I should have taken more time to really live in the present moment and really have the time to reflect, as I was saying, and then also availing ourselves of cultural opportunities. Living in academic worlds like we do, they're offerings of exhibitions, of, of works of art to study and performances to watch. And sometimes we don't realize how valuable these activities are to us mm-hmm. until we almost lose them. And, you know, that's what happened over this last year and a half is the yeah. reminded of the value of, of actually, you know, taking the time to do that. And really, it was only because I decided to take a little time that this world opened up to me and the message from the universe came in and I listened. But that wouldn't have happened if I hadn't taken that time. And, you know, this is not to say, I mean, I know that I've done something pretty dramatic here, and that is leave my long academic career (laughs) as a tenured name professor and uh, begin this whole new career. And I'm not suggesting that that's what needs to be done. But I do believe that we all have time, even in those busy lives, mm-hmm. to enrich our lives with these experience of other kinds of disciplines, whatever that might be, and spending time pursuing our passions on the weekends or whatever it looks like for you, but taking some time. And I think that would be my message for today mm-hmm. is that, that that's just so critical. What I'm hearing from you is that you're really highlighting how exposure to the culture outside of our own professional lives enriches us as people, 
makes us more whole as it makes people. us makes us more human. It does. It makes us understand what it means to be fully human. Maybe that's one way to say mm-hmm. it. I think that's right. I love this quote by somebody who received her MFA from the University of Iowa. Her name is Rita Dove, and she later became the Poet Laureate of the United States. And she says, in describing the link between imagination and scientific achievement, she says, without imagination, we can go nowhere. And imagination is not restricted to the arts. Every scientist I I have ever met who has had success has had to imagine. I love that. I think that the crossovers, you know, it enriches all aspects of our lives and it makes us better scientists and professionals, Mm. health science professionals. I mean, it surely does. Mm. So I have a quote from your website that I wanted to uh, read to you or read back to you. And I was so struck by this quote. So on your website says, What if you finally pursued that dream you filed away in the impossible or maybe someday category? What if on the other side of daring was an inspiring journey to your truth? So I'm curious, why did you choose this quote and what is the significance of this quote to you? That sums up what's happened to me with this life journey, you know, the lifelong sort of pull toward making and participating in the world of art in a broad way. The pull was really strong, but it was, as I said, with the life in the academy, you know, the training and then as a young faculty member and then as we go along in our careers, some of those pulls, those passions get kind of filed away. And as I was saying that, you know, that kind of that week I took off and, you know, I started to think, what if, you know, what if I didn't file it away anymore? And it just so happened that colliding in time with that little inkling of thought of what if I didn't file it away anymore came this course that then led me down this path. And so I think that we have to give some thoughts to those things that we filed away into the impossible or maybe when I'm retired or, you know, way down the road. What if we looked at those more carefully and thought about how we could maybe bring even a bit of it into our current lives? And what if we made a little tiny bit of space for it, even just, you know, one afternoon on, you know, every other weekend? Or what if we turned our phones off and read at night instead of, you know, scrolling through our phones? What if we found the time to take a quiet walk in the morning and really reflect on what's important to us? You know, that's kind of what that all means to me. And As I said, you don't have to do anything as dramatic as I did. (laughs) You know, you don't have to leave your, you know, 25 year academic career. (laughs) It can be something really small, but it can be so enriching to your life. And that's my hope for people. And that's part of the, you know, sort of the message I want to share. Thank you so much, Robin, for such a wonderful conversation. You've inspired me. So I thank Thank you. you for that. Thank you, Ruth. Thank you for inviting me. I'm, I'm really excited to be part of the Spark podcast. That's really great. Thank you so much.
Thank you again, Robin. And one more piece that I'm really looking forward to is following your work in the future and following your future exhibitions and seeing how you evolve as an artist as well. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Mac PFD Spark podcast. Just so you know, this podcast has been brought to you by the McMaster Faculty of Health Sciences and specifically the Office of Continuing Professional Development and the Program for Faculty Development. If you're interested in finding out more about what we can offer for faculty development, check out our website at www.macpfd.ca. That's www.macpfd.ca. Many of our events are actually web events that are free. Finally, I'd like to thank our sound engineer, Mr. Nick Hoskin, who has been an amazing asset to our team. Thanks so much, Nick, for all that you do. And also thank you to Scott Holmes for supplying us the music that you've been listening to. All right, so until next time, this is Mac PFD Spark signing off.